Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number 58. I'm your host, Brian. My superhero name is Irregardless. With me tonight, Mac. When a science experiment on avian intelligence went awry, I gained the power, the mastery of the winds, the ability to speak to all birds and to understand them, and a parrot-like ability to mimic sounds. I am the mighty macaw. And Kimberly? Oh, I was hoping I wasn't next. <laughs> oh, I got <gotcha. laughs> Um, I don't know what my origin story is. I have mutant powers of telekinesis, which I can then use to fly, and my superhero name is Epic. All right. And Ian? <laughs> okay, well, I'm known as that guy, and I do things. Don't really have much of an order. <laughs> nice. Excellent. And, writer, huh? and of course, we're welcoming him back. <laughs> Eric. A split second for the ability to stop time and teleport. I was a millionaire playboy technological genius who was granted a magical weapon by a race of highly developed aliens after seeing his parents murdered by a radioactive insect sent to Earth by a dying planet. <laughs> <laughs> I stole that I from our guests. All, I think you have all bases covered. Uh, and our special guest this evening, Brad. Uh, hello, hey, thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, I guess uh, I guess my secret origin is when I was trying to extract the antimatter from a thesaurus, it blew up, causing me the power to create great harm through puns. Uh, my superhero <laughs> name is, of course. The Punisher. The, oh. <laughs> oh, man. And we have both and you and Mac this already. evening. Oh, man. <laughs> That's Mac's shtick. That is Mac's shtick. He is stealing Mac's shtick. So Mac, Mac's going to have to compete hard tonight, it sounds like. Well, how is everybody doing this week? I beg your pardon? How is everybody doing? Oh, real good. 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 Yeah? Anything going on that we need to know about? Uh, I'm going to say try to avoid the DMV in Colorado until, you know, the fall of Western civilization. Okay. They have mandatory visits, you know. Yes, I know. <laughs> but apparently they don't have necessarily have to have their computers up and working during those mandatory visits. No, no, no. That's optional. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Let's have some announcements, Kimberly. Okay. Sounds good. Well, we've talked about it before, and it is finally just about here. This Saturday, May 5th, Skepticamp, Colorado. It's going to be awesome. We've got our own trivia guy here who's going to be doing a Jeopardy board. and We've got a lot of great talks. Uh, I believe it is currently full, but check the Skepticamp.org site. Um, they put out an announcement to make sure that everybody who signed up was able to go. And quite frankly, show up anyway. We'll get you in there even if we go over the limit. Um, it's going to be awesome. So uh, I really hope a lot of people can go. There's going to be a lot of great talks. The very following day, Sunday, uh, May 6th, at Brooklyn's is going to be the AAA Convention Open House. Um, as you guys know, we talked about it last time. I'm on the steering committee for the conference. It's going to be in town on Labor Day weekend. We've got an amazing amount of speakers. Um, it's going to be an incredible conference. And this is an opportunity to hear more about the details, who's showing up, what, the, what it's going to look like, and how, if you are interested, you can help become an official AAA volunteer. So I do hope a lot of people will um, will come out for that one. That's going to be at noon at Brooklyn's on Sunday. And uh, not too much else on the calendar right now. On Saturday the 12th, CoCore is doing an organizational meeting. CoCore, as you know, is the Co Colorado Coalition of Reason. And um, <laughs> Richard Berg... It, it, it's, it's called CoCore? <laughs> Colorado, C-O, <laughs> Coalition, <laughs> right, C... I'm sorry. No. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was hoping I'd get a laugh tonight, but I didn't think All right. I'd get it this early. Okay, co-course aside, let's move on. <laughs> co-core organizational meeting on Sunday, Saturday the 12th. Sunday the 13th, uh, Humanist Colorado is having their monthly meeting about animal rights. And um, coming up in June, we've talked to uh, Jason a couple of episodes ago about Into the Churches. And we're going to be doing uh, an event out in Evergreen. I think that'll be really good, too. This is a return to the uh, church that they've already visited, isn't it? It may be. Yeah, this is probably a know. good one. I didn't go to the one in Evergreen before. Yeah, apparently the one in Evergreen before was really good. So if it's the same church, this will probably be um, uh, a little bit more... Um, 
of the example that he's trying to set rather than the one that we went to. Okay. And and into the churches is we had a, a another leadership meeting on there last week and um it's going to really start gearing up I think. There's going I'll have more information on it probably a different name right. for one and um really just kind of trying to pull it together. So um I'm looking forward to it. I th- I think I think as I've said before Jason's got a really good program here and I think it's going to do a lot of good work. Banded together from remote galaxies are 13 of the most sinister villains of all time, the Legion of Doom. All right, so uh, tonight's main topic is uh, superheroes. And uh, so that's so we've invited Brad because Brad is an expert in all things, I, I would assume, evil based on uh, his website, <laughs> you're Evil Inc. Right. And so, so you're, you're kind of the, the anti superhero guy. Yes. Well, the, the the villains have always been much more interesting than the heroes. The heroes are pretty straightforward and, and cut and dried, but the villains, that's where the action is. Okay. So, what? tell me, um, what, what is, uh, you? so you have a webcomic. Yes. I do a comic strip that's called Evil Incorporated. It's been uh, posted uh, every day on the web since 2000, so this is my 12th year. Uh, it's been in newspapers since 2001. And, uh, it's been, uh, it's basically the exploits of a corporation that's run for and by supervillains. So, so Mac, Mac is the one that, that, uh, that turned us on to this. So, so this, you, you've actually, you're actually publishing this in a paper. Yes. It, it runs, the largest paper that runs it is the Philadelphia Daily News. Wow. Okay. So, so Mac, why, why have you invited this gentleman? Uh, I I've been reading his comics since I discovered it earlier this year. Went through the uh, went through the backlog, just laughing and enjoying the uh, enjoying the superhero tropes. Um, I, I have to say, my personal favorite of the group is Wingman. <laughs> really, that's an that's an interesting choice. Why Wingman? He's he's a he's just such a great parody of Hawkman, by, while at the same time being completely completely himself, and he. He fits into the name Wingman in every way conceivable. He's the Wingman to Captain Heroic. He's Captain mm-hmm. Heroic's Wingman in terms of like dating stuff. And of course, right. he's a he's a Wingman. He's a he's a flying he's a flying hero. Wow, I, that's so, I, I I don't get that a lot. He's he's definitely a, uh, a second uh, tier character. But I love it when people bring something like that up that hmm. uh, that they they like some of that stuff in a character. It, it's very uh, uh, nice for me to hear. Yeah, I definitely got a chuckle out of his name. Oh, thank um, you. But aside from that, I wanted you on here because you are just so versed in the various different superhero tropes. You can't parody something effectively without knowing it back and front like this. And well, this, you do this is, this is what, effective it, parody. To paraphrase the great W.C. Fields, this is a sign of a misspent childhood. Uh, this is a passion <laughs> that I've had uh, since a very, very young man, and uh, and I've always been an avid comics reader. And and some of this stuff just kind of sticks with you and and uh, gnaws its way into your psyche. And and, uh, and and I just finally had to find a good use to, uh, to 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 put all this stuff that was gathering in my head. I, I love some of the some of the nods to. DC and Marvel in there too, like uh, mm. the Shea Lex restaurant, <laughs> yeah. and the uh, the calls to customer service by people that yeah you recognize but you're not actually giving the name. Yeah, so. I, I try to I try to stay on the good side of uh, of copyright, but uh, but Shea Lex is one of my favorite eating establishments. That's that's the place where serving time has a completely different meaning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we we have, I mean, certainly, I mean, you 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 find villains more interesting. So first, we uh, wait. I talk about what? Why do people like superheroes? You know, my uncle was saved by Green Lantern once. He was hanging from a um, um, a trestle. A trestle, yeah. I, if you're asking me, uh, I think I, I think they like superheroes for the supervillains that they fight. I, I think uh, I think superheroes are the spoon, supervillains are the ice cream, and you can't get the ice cream without without the spoon. I think that's why we read uh, the comics that we read. Certainly, the superheroes and the superheroics are meaningful, and we make a relationship with them. But without the supervillains, it would be very very it would be a soap opera. So basically, you're telling me that superheroes are necessarily evil, so that we can have supervillains. 
<laughs> that's right. They're a necessary <laughs> evil. That's a, that's a very good way to put it. <laughs> okay. So, I, I mean, a lot of times, I don't know, I, I, I tend to think that superheroes are cool, but I can, I definitely see it's, it's more fun to be the villain, it seems like. Certainly we saw that in Mega Man, right? Or, mm-hmm. um, we, we saw that the, the villain was, you know, he was always doing. You're talking pre- Mega Mind. Mega Mind, right. Mega Mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, that was fun. Okay. So then what is the, what is the biggest appeal of a super villain? Nuts! Come on! Let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. <laughs> Never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> Many cases, consequences. I mean, they always get put down at the end, but we never see that, do we? That's always the last page in the comic book, and then they're carted off to Arkham Asylum, and, and which, which is really the only Batman is the only uh, uh, book that ever treated with any amount of detail what happens to the villains after they're carted away. They they created Arkham Asylum and, and there's even been issues and entire uh, comics and books devoted to the institution. Uh, but for the most part, for, for most uh, superhero comics, uh, the, the part where the villain is carted away is the last page in the book. We And, and so we never actually have consequences as we're uh, living vicariously through these guys. Uh, but we get all the great benefits of of uh, vicariously uh, fueling that id kind of fantasy. That's a good point. Yeah, it's kind of like having uh, being invisible would be great because then you could rob a bank. Absolutely. Yeah. And and not and not feel guilty for it. it, it the, the biggest the, one of the most interesting things about supervillains is that really there's 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 guilt-free living in that they have most villains have if not a uh, a, 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 an absence of reason in other words i do it because i do it uh some of the great villains have very good reasons for robbing that bank and reasons that if you turn the tables that villain in in another kind of perspective might be somewhat of a hero so then we get into this perspective of what is evil and what is truly evil and how does motivation fit into that absolutely i mean that it, it comes into uh the whole idea of of really nailing that down and 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 and, and it's something that's a very i, I don't know if i want to say postmodern, but it, it it it's it's an issue that's very now in other words uh, who are the evil people and and why are they evil well you know it, that depends on on which country you're living in. You know, one person's evil might be another person's not so evil or justifiable, mm-hmm. and and so it comes into that uh, into that geographic thing, or 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 it might depend on where you were born or how you were born and and what family you were born into. Uh, it's it's very it, it's I guess it goes into moral relativism. Well, I was just gonna say it's it's a jumping off point to talk about morality and how we come up with morals and and how we and you know how we kind of see good and evil um and certainly there is a lot of perspective there absolutely i i i've always said that comics are are very much dismissed as juvenile reading uh but if you really look at what's going on in those uh four color pages uh there's really some interesting philosophy being discussed and and hammered out uh it's it it's definitely worth if you if you haven't picked one up uh, in a long time uh dropping by your comic shop or even now if you're a tablet user uh, uh finding the comics on tablets uh it's there's some great stuff going on from one perspective Lex Luthor is a villain from another perspective he is a man fighting against essentially a selfish god who keeps his power for himself Absolutely. And, and he's, he, he, Lex Luthor is the ultimate humanist. His uh, main problem with Superman is that he's an alien that has come here and decided to uh, force his will upon us. So whether that's right or wrong, uh, Lex is saying, uh, we'll handle it ourselves. Uh, he's, he's, he's maybe one of the best written villains uh, in comics history because he's the one that you can kind of identify with. It's interesting because... In in some ways, he has the most boring hero to contend with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, the most, well, the most I, absolutely straight arrow. And that goes back to my opening comments. I mean, Lex has to be so much more because Superman is so much... It, it, the fact that Superman can do anything... I don't like that whole going back in time thing. Why not? 
What's the point of anything if you can just go back in time and fix any problem? Please, get a job. You do what you do, I'll do what I do. Can't wait to hear that surround. What's going on back there? This one's different than mine. Why don't you go back in time and read the instructions? <laughs> oh! Sorry. Very nice. Now what are we going to do? especially in like like the uh, the 70s and the uh, uh 60s you know your your silver age superman who could uh, it, he had a new superpower every month he had telescopic vision he had x-ray vision he had super ventriloquism he had super this he had super that by, by the fact that he could do anything, it really made him a very bland boring hero yeah uh, so people like Alex Luthor had to step up. Well, it's because we do have some very interesting heroes. Like, I mean, a DC for sure. I mean, uh, Spider-Man it definitely is a, is a much more dynamic hero. He has, you know, good and evil. Um, Iron Man is the kind of the same way. I mean, you know, the alcoholic who runs the suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your far more interesting heroes have have severe dark sides. Or yeah. They, if you if you talk movie movie universe, Iron Man severe narcissist. Sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good topic. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's, uh, you're absolutely right. It, that, that happened at, thanks to the great Stan Lee, who, uh, when he introduced characters like, uh, like, like Peter Parker, the amazing Spider-Man and, and the Fantastic Four, he want, he wanted to write these, uh, these deeper dramatic books and he found himself writing comics. And as the story goes, his wife said, well, why don't you write your dramatic story? Uh, but just the people are wearing tights and and they're fighting monsters and and he found a way to really make you know Spider-Man this great anti-hero who 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 dealt with feelings of insecurity and inadequacy in his real life and then swung from the rooftops at night and those characters who had those kind of flaws uh, resonated tremendously with the people who were reading them not to not to mention Spider-Man's incredible bad luck uh, yes <laughs> But I, I think that's that's true. I mean, I, I don't know. I well, I, I do think Superman is boring, and I think that there are some very interesting heroes out there. But they're not. But they're not interesting because of their because of the good stuff that they're they're uh, they're interesting because of the personal conflict that they are dealing with. While they're trying to do all these good things, and they see all these bad things happening, and they don't know how to reconcile them. Absolutely. Well, Batman is a is a wonderful uh, example of what you're talking about there. Uh, he he's somebody that that obviously fights for truth and justice, but does it in a very very dark, uh, uh, against the grain kind of way. Uh, kind of a almost in in a classic villain sense, does it the way he thinks it should be done, not necessarily the way society at large thinks it should be done. Sure. There's another webcomic artist. Uh, Tom Willis draws short packed. He draws Batman strips every once in a while. Although his main mm-hmm. cartoon is about uh, his main cartoon is about people working in a toy store. One of his cartoons that I thought was absolutely just absolutely hilarious was Batman medicated for his uh, <laughs> <laughs> for his issues. And the only time he put on the bat suit was to scare the pizza guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I and I do have to just put a polite correction in because I do know him personally. His name is Dave Willis, and he is Dave a Willis, that's right. Yes, and he is a wonderful cartoonist. Yes, he is. I I love his stuff too. All right, well, Mac, where do you want to go with this? Um, well, first article on here is the five most impractical aspects of superhero costumes. All right, Dyna guy. Oh, he had a great look. Oh, the cape and the boots. No capes. Isn't that my decision? Do you remember Thunderhead? Tall, storm powers. Nice man. Good with kids. Listen. November 15th, the 50th. <laughs> All was well, another day saved, when his cape snagged on a missile wing. Thunderhead was not the brightest ball. Stratogale, April 23rd, 57. Cape caught in a jet turbine. You can't generalize about Mecha Man, Express Elevator, Diner Guy, Snag on Takeoff, Splashdown, Sucked into a Vortex, No Kicks! Uh, I, I love this article because it was actually written by a cosplayer. And uh, some of the stuff she talks about in here is the high heels. She talks about uh, the fact that the material that your costume is made out of is going to be either not strong enough or too hot. Um, if you're wearing spandex, 
and the spandex is basically strained to the limits of your anatomy, one sharp object and that spandex may be completely gone, just explode <laughs> off of you. <laughs> that was a comic Talk- book I read. I, I still have it. It's a, a mildly adult comic, not you know heavily. It basically had nudity and cursing. Uh, it was called, I believe, Cinnamon. And in it, he's like confronting this one big bruiser. And, you know, he put, he just basically pokes her. And part of her outfit springs open and reveals her breast. And he's going like, that must happen a lot, right? He's like, no, and then punches him. But it's one of those things like, actually, you picture that probably would happen quite a bit. <laughs> well, okay, but um, uh, my favorite is, is, is high heels. What, what a ridiculous shoe for a superhero. Well, and absolutely. And they do it all the time. Even in those cop dramas and stuff like that, it's not just comic books. Exactly. You, know, you see these women running around in shoes that you just know they're about to break an ankle. Well, that's, that's the problem. Comics have always been, uh, drawn by, by guys that haven't done a whole lot of running. <laughs> you can go to any comic <laughs> convention and, and find that out. None of us are exactly marathon athletes. Uh, and, and if you, if you look back far enough, uh, again, going back into, uh, the Silver Age where some of the best stuff I think was done, uh, even the men had high heels. Captain America was, yeah. uh, was, was forever, uh, drawn with, uh, uh almost his boots, uh, if you look at the underside looked like uh, uh, like a man's high heel shoe. Uh, how he like how he ran in those? Yeah. I have no. Yeah. Oh, a good two inch. I, it, maybe he was small and he had he had to have that lift. I I don't know what the deal was, but uh, I, it was it, it, a lot of our heroes, even men, r- ran around in in high heel shoes. Uh, I did a comic once uh, that addressed this very topic, and it was Lightning Lady, one of my characters, who is a uh, heroically proportioned blonde uh, who wears a skin tight bustier and boots up to her uh, up to her knees and and uh, high heeled uh, shoes. And the question was, why do you dress like that? And her answer was three words: because I can. <laughs> and I think. That's what goes to the, the heart of superhero costuming. It isn't, uh, it, it isn't, it certainly isn't drawn out of expediency, although you will see in today's comics a whole lot more, uh, nods given to, you know, a lot of the shoes, uh, boots have treads underneath that. A lot of, a lot of artists have taken great care in drawing these, you know, elaborate, earth-gripping treads on the bottoms of their characters' uh, boots. Uh, but uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you've got the... Th- there's two things that happen. Uh, uh, number one, there is the because I can uh, idea. And there's another thing that, that is a very interesting aspect of this that goes all the way back to the very beginnings of superhero comics. Uh, and now you're going back 80, uh, gosh, maybe 90 years. And that is expediency. Uh, Superman, don't, don't forget, started out as a newspaper comic strip. Uh, that's how it was originally designed. And it, comics were really taking off and being used as incredible sales tools for newspapers. And daily comic strips uh, were all the rage. These guys, uh, superheroes started to crest and uh, they, they, started, they started appearing in newspaper comic strips. That's a daily deadline you've got to uh, keep. There's one thing that these early artists found out really quickly, and that is if you have to draw characters, especially characters in action situations, uh, on a daily deadline, you may not draw people with loose, blousy, drapey shirts and pants. You have to draw quick, because if you're drawing people in that, in that, those kind of costumes, first you've got to draw the person naked, and then you have to draw the clothes on them. There is no shortcut, not if you want to do it well. So, you have uh, to move the, you have, the clothing has to move with the action. Exactly. So, so what, what these guys did was they removed the clothing, drew the people naked, and then draw a line across the wrist, a line across their wrist, a line across the waist, a couple lines for boots, and now they've got skin tight spandex on. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the whole reason that our superheroes wear spandex. It wasn't a fashion choice. It was an economic, an economic of, uh, line choice. They had to be drawn very, very quickly. And so spandex became all the rage. And as a result, uh, if you take a look at that as it develops, it also comes into a lot of fetishism, uh, is built into uh, uh, comics as it develops throughout the years, uh, because you've got these very well proportioned, physically fit, attractive people wrestling and grappling and, and tackling each other. And, and, and a lot of this stuff 
comes as a natural okay i i, I think the uh the high-heeled boots are as uh, much a part of that fetishism as they are uh, a fashion thing sure now at some point though that that does get expanded because blade certainly doesn't dress like that mm-hmm. so i mean the who? blade um Vampire Hunter from Marvel. Vampire Hunter. Movie, movie Blade. Right. Right, West but even in the comic book. Even the comic book Blade never dressed like that. Yeah. Point. He, he, he never I didn't read a lot of Blade comic dumb. books, but. But that's a much later comic. I, I think that, the, um. Yeah. Well, you know, you have the, sta- the, you know, the classic, the silver era that, um, Brad was just talking about with, you know, that started out with the spandex. Mm-hmm. Then you, you have modern era, which still had this, uh, not a modern, the golden, uh, I mean, it's always confusing what's what, but basically the Stan Lee era is what I would call it, is where it was still the spandex, but it started to develop character. Then you have more or less what came out of the eighties, and that was when they became more nitty, more grittier, more realistic mm-hmm. in their, what they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, from that, you have stuff like The Watchmen, which, you know, we were talking about the literary merit of comic books, was listed as, um, as I think, one of the top 50 um, literary pieces of the 1980s, the Watchmen graphic novel by mm-hmm. Alan Moore. And, you know, that got into some real nitty-gritty stuff. You know, these people were not beautiful. They were not, you know, what what they wore, you know, you're, you have um, Night, Night Owl, who... You know, the modern night owl, he's out of shape now. He's putting the costume on. He has a big gut to him. So mm. a- after that, you, I think you saw the superheroes become a bit more realistic, a bit more gritty. The outfits weren't all spandex. They still had it just because. But you look at what happened around that time frame, and there was another shift. And, you know, after that, more and more the heroes didn't need to be the spandex type. They could wear trench coats. They could wear leather jackets. They could wear, you know, all sorts of more realistic clothing. You know, Absolutely, to, uh, but if you look at a comic, to... okay, uh, we got both of you. Brad, go ahead. And uh, I was going to say, if you look at a comic stand or you know go to a comic shop today, you will see much more spandex than you will see any other kind of material, it, and and the reasons are still the same. Uh, it, you do, I, I will, I'll grant you, you see a lot more uh, uh, drapey kind of material, but it's still the 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 mainstay is that spandex, and the reason is still the same. These comics are being churned out every thirty days, uh, and and you'll notice it takes a team of people to to put out every comic book that you read. There's a writer there's an editor there's a a penciler that just lays down the, the 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 rough draft if you will there's an inker that goes over that and does the final illustration in ink there's a colorist that comes in after that and a letterer it takes a whole team of people to maintain this 30-day deadline and uh, it's for that same reason you'll still see much more spandex uh on your comic stand than you will any other fabric the other thing, though, is that it's visually interesting to look at. <laughs> I mean, it's appealing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so it works. You know, one for expediency, and one because we like it. Because I can. <laughs> because I can. There you go. <laughs> Mac, what were you going to say? I was going to say to chime back to something in the same era as those Blade comics. Um, one of the uh, one of the other heroes at that time, Power Man, Luke Cage, <laughs> mm-hmm. blousey oh. yellow shirt, open he, he to the waist. He, he was a 70s mm-hmm. hero, yeah. Skin tight. <laughs> Everything about the 70s. Skin tight. <laughs> Blousey sleeved shirt, skin tight around the chest, but yeah. But he's Absolutely. been updated. His new look is not a superhero look at all. He basically just wears a t-shirt. That's his basic look now. They, they got He got rid of the afro, got rid of the 70s look, and he is just basically a big guy wearing a t-shirt. That's yes. his look. Yep. All right. What's next here, Mac? What, what else do we want to hit on here? Uh, let's see. Seven awesome superpowers ruined by science. Yes. <laughs> there goes science again, ruining oh, everything, right? <laughs> we find it gets in our way a lot. Glad to be on the show because there's a little bit of Clark Kent in all of us. Well, a presumably invisibility, that last one, would be the most desired superpower because uh, obviously you could use it to sneak in and steal the secrets of any other superpower. Um, let's see. Super speed. Or, uh, well, you got to start at flight. You got you, you to start at the, the top. Uh, all right. Um, start at the top here. Okay. So number seven, flight. And what they talked about was, you know, you've got the ability to laugh at gravity, but how fast can you go up there? Do you have a bird-proof face? Um, navigation. Now, that's one thing they bring up, navigation. You know, unless you're navigation. looking for something huge, you're not going to know where the hell you're going. <laughs> Well, men have extra iron in their nose so that they can tell direction better. <laughs> That's why we don't well, have to I, ask for directions. 
there's actually an interesting story behind the the flight abilities of Superman. If you can if you can stand one more trip down into the golden age of comics. Absolutely. Well, Brad, actually, Superman. let's let's save that for. Why don't we save that for the uh, for the uh, discussion of Superman's powers? Absolutely. That's that's fine too. Is that okay? Okay. That's fine. All okay. right. All right. So, all right. So, we, so we've got our issues with flight, and uh, so super strength. Super strength. Um, I like the fact that he's talking about you try to grab something huge and your hands go right through it. Um, you know, essentially, you're trying to grab a bus and you essentially end up tearing the bus in half or punching your arms through the carriage of the bus. And they get fairly graphic on this about how you just basically impaled one of the children inside the bus. But <laughs> Yeah, well, the other thing is, you know, in the last Superman movie where he stops the plane, it's just absolutely – it was just a terrible scene anyway. But basically, well, yeah, it was a great. It was a great scene visually, but okay. Yeah. But yeah, he would have ripped right through the plane. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then they get um, really get graphic, right? All right, super speed, super speed. And actually, this one was addressed in a in a book that I read called "The Physics of Superheroes," and he actually liked the Flash from the from the standpoint of physics, but he believed that the Flash probably had a had like a shield around him, like a uh, like a essentially a field around him that kept him from overheating. Okay. So, But basically they said the, if you went that fast, you'd catch on fire. At least your clothes would. You'd catch on fire. Everything around you would catch on fire as being ignited by you. Uh, actually, that was one point that he made in the Physics of Superheroes book was that they showed the Flash leaving burning footprints in his wake. Okay. From the friction. Right. Well, that's going to be painful if he's you know doing that through skyscrapers. Going upstairs. Actually, he runs up the side of skyscrapers. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's see, number four, telepathy. And what he's talking about, the fact in there is the fact that uh, people's thought processes are, are not linear. They're constantly thinking about, about all kinds of different things. And right. trying to read somebody's mind is just basically going to be trying to read pure chaos. Well, and I was thinking, you know, um, Sam Harris's new book on free will is really going to put a jinx in the works here. That's a good point. Because yeah, you, you can't even control what you're going to be thinking. So what the heck are they going to be picking up on? This actually might be more fun for scientific research than for any other purpose whatsoever. Let's see. Number three, invisibility, which we talked about. Brian, you mentioned being able to rob a bank. Um, Except for I'd be blind. Yes, because you can't you can't sense light. Because the light waves are passing through you. Right. You can't actually see them with your eyes. I did like the way they handled that in the Fantastic Four movie. She doesn't light. She's not invisible to light. It just bends around her. Right. So. Well, but wouldn't that be mean she'd be like seeing behind her? She wouldn't be able to see what's in front of her. She'd be because it'd be reflected light. So, so everywhere she looks would be actually somewhere else. <sighs> Now, see, this is what happens when you overthink this stuff, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> this whole article is overthinking it. If it goes around her, it goes around all of her, including her eyes. So, yeah, she, so can... she can see her butt now. This is not a good thing. <laughs> well, her butt was okay. <laughs> Let's see. Super senses. Um, you don't get to turn off your senses. If, if no senses work that way, and if they did, they'd be useless. Well, they dealt with this. Um, who is the um, daredevil? Deals with this. Right. By sleeping in an isolation chamber. Right. And that's, again, that's movie Daredevil. Although I think right. they probably brought that into the comics as well. It made some sense. Yeah. Right. They kind of dealt with it on Smallville, too, though, which is that he had to use his x-ray vision like a muscle. He had to concentrate to use the x-ray vision. It wasn't always on. And he had to learn to use it as well. Well, I mean, isn't isn't that the caveat for all these, though, that they're controllable in some way? Yep. So... So, and but, the number one power that's ruined by science is immortality. Don't you think people would just go crazy after long enough? You know, I've seen that in um, fiction. They've, they've had that immortality basically, you know, really messing you up. I, um, my dad talked of one where the most dangerous thing for immortals was cancer. Because while they're immortal and live forever, they can still get, get the cancer. And any mortal with cancer is not a comfortable thing because that means they're living forever with, you know, all these growths and stuff. And it was... I, it's one I haven't read, but hmm. uh, he's talked about it a few times. So it depends on how you treat the immortality to what dangers there are to it. 
Well, okay, but we can make that caveat for every single one of these powers. You know, oh, yeah. the invisibility. That's, well, you know, it's 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 some sort of special invisibility. They can still see. You know, they can still pick and, up. And, their and light. that's one thing that's coming up more and more in the comics is they look at it and say, okay, let's backtrack a bit and figure out how we can give a more scientific explanation on these powers and make it fit better, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. I mean, you know, these are powers that have been in play for fifty years or more, and finally saying, okay. Now that, um, you know, people are being skeptical and they're looking at saying, wait a moment, that doesn't work. Okay, let's figure out how to make it work and come up with some explanation for it. Even if it gets bizarre, apparently one thing I learned is in the Marvel Universe, powers like how the Hulk can grow and gain all this extra mass and Ant-Man can shrink and not um, weigh, you know, 200 pounds when he's that small is because apparently those powers, the mass jumps back and forth between dimensions when they use them. Sure. It's a silly explanation that really is kind of like, what? But at least it's a more scientific explanation than saying it just happens. Right, but at what point is that really needed? As well as, well, what's some, at what point can we just suspend our disbelief and say, that's cool. Okay, you know, that works in that this not, universe. That's, that's part of accepting comics. Like I, I said, mean, right here, yeah. looking at saying, if we, if we really look at you take so much of the fun out of it. But still, there is a sense right now, more and more in comics, that they need to give a little more logic to okay. it than what they used to. I can appreciate some sort of justification that works with the physics of that universe. But it doesn't have to work with the physics of our universe. I mean, looking, right. going through these seven powers, yes, we can, we can nitpick them, you know, as long as we like, but at some point we just have to accept in the world that they're living, it works the way they say it do, they say it does. And, and I'm okay with that. Hey Brad. So what? Yes. What was that about? Uh, what was that about Superman's flight? The interesting thing about Superman's flight is that Superman originally uh, could not fly, and he gained his ability to. He, originally, he would jump, and as a matter of fact, uh, at the same time the the comic strip and the comic book was taking off, the Superman radio show was taking off. And in one famous radio episode, to get from one corner of the uh, of the country to the other, Superman literally ran across telephone wires to get there. <laughs> Superman only gained his ability to fly when the Superman animated series uh, uh, came out, and those were those really? great Fleischer those are those great Fleischer animated series. And what happened was uh, they realized that to make Superman jump, and again, once again, it all comes down to economics, to make Superman jump, they had to draw him standing and then crouching and then leaping. And they realized that if they just had him lift his arms into the air and pull the background down behind him, he could fly. And as a, a decision of economics, Superman gained the ability to fly. Ah, that is fascinating. Okay. And I had thought that the I thought that the uh, ability to fly actually was prior to those cartoons too. I thought that that was I know that the original ability was just the ability to leap tall buildings in a single bound when Siegel and Schuster did the first comic, but I didn't realize that the fly ability came that late. And, and that's a lot of that's those cartoons I did see and he was jumping in a lot of them still so it must have been later on that they changed that. Yeah, there's a there's a wonderful book about uh, comic book. Uh, I believe it's Urban Legends. I'm I'm looking it up as we speak. Yes, Comic Book Legends Revealed uh, is a wonderful book uh, for this kind of information that uh, that that goes into these kind of stories. Uh, but and that and that's where I got that one uh, from, as a matter of fact. But yeah, his according to that book, he was uh, he was given the ability to fly out of uh, an economic decision. Interesting. That's interesting. I've always wondered why they had the, you know, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. I'm like, well, yeah, because he just flies over them. <laughs> he's always he's always known how to fly in in my experience, and I always thought that was a little incongruous. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so let's let's go ahead and throw in here. How do you think Superman actually does fly? Where does the ability come from in his Kryptonian biology? Oh, that's a great question. Do it. Do we care? <laughs> I care. Do you? Yeah, I do. I wouldn't have put it in there if I didn't care. Okay, so it, um, how, where does his you know, flight come from? I don't know. It's, can't, it, it's probably not repulsing gravity. That's uh, why jumping made more sense. Yeah, the jumping makes a heck of a lot more sense. I, I've heard. I've heard that it comes from his super speed that he just can go fast enough. Maybe that he can um, go fast enough that he can actually get lift on air molecules. That maybe he can. No. Yeah, and how is he? How is he invulnerable to most things that would kill a normal human being without weighing several tons? 
Well, do we know he doesn't weigh several tons? He could always be levitating. Uh -huh. Point. That's a good point. He could step on a scale and be levitating, which would cover the I was super just thinking more from a practical why he doesn't crush buildings yeah. while he's walking on mm -hmm. the third floor, you know. <laughs> well, well, he doesn't he end does... up in the basement. <laughs> he definitely does hover. I mean, uh, the levitation thing may, holds the most water because he, he, he doesn't necessarily have to be producing lift uh, and those kinds of uh, aerodynamic issues. Uh, he can just pretty much float up there in the air like a, like a Zeppelin. So can he produce anti-gravitrons that allow him to levitate? Yeah, while you guys were talking, I just looked to my source book for this, which is a, a, the DC Comics Encyclopedia, and it just basically says, yep, he can fly. <laughs> they don't. They don't go any, any further into the than, than that. They they're they're pretty much uh, happy to uh, suspend disbelief. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because he got the yellow sun. Well, yeah, yeah. That's where he gets his powers from the yellow sun. Which, exactly. Which right. brings up some interesting points. So, do all Kryptonians have powers, or do they just have powers when they're near a yellow sun? In and, and so, what color was the sun of Krypton? Red. Red. It was red. Yep. Red sun. Um. Higher gravity planet originally as well, but it's a red sun. So, and yes, all all Kryptonians get powers under a yellow sun, which is why we had Superman two with uh, Zod and his cronies. So they get powers under a red sun. Mm -hmm. Nope, they do. Oh no, they don't. No. They don't. Get they powers. don't. They what do. about a blue sun? Uh, then we're talking probably the uh, the Bizarros of the DC. Yeah, I think I think Kryptonians <laughs> only gain powers under yellow sun. All right. And were they aware of this before the end of Krypton, or apparently is not. this the... Well, apparently, oh. apparently Jor-El was. He knew that if he sent Kal-El to Earth, which was under a yellow sun, that he would gain great powers under the yellow sun. Oh, okay, so it was intentional, not just a survival gambit. It was both, but he sent him there so that he would have great powers. Okay. So he wanted to upset the balance. Yep. So he was he... to upset Lex Luthor, So was he an evil man? Jor-El? Yeah. That's a good question. Any parent wants a better life for their kids uh, evil? I, I, I don't know. But he. But on the other <laughs> hand, he knew that this person would come to, our, come to our planet and have these incredible powers, and he could not be 100% sure that he would be a, a, a good man or be raised properly. He had, he had no way of knowing all those things. Was this wise? Well, the one <laughs> DC where um, Superman lands in Russia and is basically, you know, raised Russian. So raised know, by Joseph, Joseph Stalin, in fact. You're talking about oh, Red okay. Sun, right? Yeah, I, I have never read it. I just know of its existence. But yeah, so he basically becomes a Russian Superman. So yeah, it, you know, it, it was a gamble as to who's going to end up raising him. Well, it was a total gamble. So so this man acts out of compassion, granted, but. But, but not really understanding what the consequences of his actions may have been. That is a very interesting point. Well, here's a, and, well, here's a concept that um, I can't find the website. My dad sent um, the, um, the thread to me. Um, according to this, um, Mark Jones wrote, uh, I'm going to read it word for word to you. It's called Everyone Enables Superman. And the idea is everyone knows the truth about Superman. And, okay, so Superman is invulnerable and mortal and insane. When Lois Lane was killed way back in the 40s, he snapped. He couldn't handle it. So he found Lois suffering from amnesia and brainwashing and rescued her from the people pretending to be her family. There wasn't anything to be done about it, so eventually she accepted her role, and the government began planning for replacements for that Lois and Jimmy and Perry and Lex and everyone. There have been quite a few of each but more Loises than anyone else. The sexual revolution was very hard on Lois. The Daily Planet would have gone under decades ago, well, the Daily Planet would have gone under decades ago if not for the huge and secret government subsidies. Virtually everyone in Clark Kent's life, professional and personal, is part of a huge operation to keep him happy. They pretend to be his co-workers, friends, and acquaintances, and all work hard to keep fans and other troublemakers from getting close enough to blurt out his secret in Clark's presence. Think of the Truman Show with a super-powered Rain Man as the hero who gets very unhappy if the lifestyle he adopted decades ago isn't carefully maintained. Okay. Wow. That's an interesting concept. Actually, it kind of chimes back to a book that I've been reading called uh, Irredeemable, which is essentially a Superman-powered, Superman-level superhero with that kind of power snapping and becoming not... It's not his world's greatest 
defender, but his world's greatest villain. So I'm I'm just trying to imagine Superman with dementia. This Actually, sounds... I don't think it's that hard to imagine. It almost makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got in here the article: Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. But they're engaged. Doesn't matter. It can't happen. Why not? It's bound to come up. It's impossible. Lois could never have Superman's baby. Do you think her fallopian tubes could handle his sperm? I guarantee he blows a load like a shotgun right through her back. What about her wound? Do you think it's strong enough to carry his child? Sure, why not? He's an alien, for Christ's sake. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. If Lois gets a tan, the kid could kick right through her stomach. Only someone like Wonder Woman has a strong enough uterus to carry his kid. The only way he could bang regular chicks is with a kryptonite condom. That would kill him. And I think this is Ian's favorite article of all times. I can't – how many times has he mentioned <laughs> I, this thing constantly? Yes. I, I've tried to bring it up a couple times in the past now. But it, it's just – it's similar to what I – you know, the same thing. Um, you know, an interesting little take on Superman. This was written uh, back in the 70s, I think, by Larry Nivens. If you don't know who he is, he's a well-known science fiction writer. He's won, won, he's won many awards. Um, he has some good stuff out there. But this was a, a, basically a article he wrote with the concept of, okay, so you have Superman here on Earth. Um, how is he going to deal with it all? It goes through, um, you know, puberty, where basically if the, the, the thought is if Superman were to masturbate, um, he would basically impregnate all the women in town. And it would not be comfortable for the women at all. What? Millions of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because basically, you know, his sperm would act with the um, Kryptonian biology of being super. It would basically shoot out and spread out until it found what it was looking for. Um, it goes into other ideas that you know, the, the logic of Superman being attracted to um, humans would be a bit weird because it would be like us being attracted to a monkey. Uh, then it gets into exactly how in the world he would actually reproduce. Obviously, if him and Lois ever got it on, he would rip her in half. If somehow, if they decided, okay, let's go with the artificial insemination, the kid would basically kick her to pieces from the inside. Uh, so it goes into who the other possibilities are. You know, it talks about his cousin, um, who is... Supergirl and a bit underage, and that probably wouldn't quite, especially you know in this era that he's writing it in, wouldn't quite work. And the um, in all result, the in all um, conclusion he comes to is if Superman wanted to um, keep his species alive, he would basically artificially pregnate himself and vanish for nine months. <laughs> but it, it goes through the whole logical uh, um, steps of go, you know, what will work and what won't. Okay, and this is how. It comes down yeah. to what he's actually able to do. I take a sword. <laughs> <laughs> you know, say you know, in the thirty years or so since it's been written, you know, that there's been some differences within the DC comics that would change some of this. But in general, it's actually a very well-written um, little essay and um, great for a few laughs. You know, well worth reading. Well, I like the fact that he hit on the idea that their biology would be completely different. That that they wouldn't yeah. have compatible DNA anyway. Mm. Right. Well, I've never, I've never been big on the um, cross alien species thing. I've always thought that seemed a bit weird. Anyways, Star Trek, I know, tried to explain it at one point by saying this ancient, ancient race actually seeded all the galaxies, so that's why Klingons and humans are actually genetically compatible because the initial um, cells or whatever that started life actually all came from the same species. But in general, the, the cross species. Um, Matings always seem a bit weird to me because, like, no, that wouldn't work. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Well, you know, panspermia can only go so uh, far. Aren't the sources of the cross-species matings in Star Trek all James Kirk? (laughs) Isn't he the source of all the cross-species matings? Uh, So wait, he's Spock's dad? What's that? So he's Spock's dad? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The mind boggles. I'm not quite sure how that would work. His dad's the, cl- uh, the Vulcan. So, Kirk, we, yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll move on from that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, one more. What do you want to do, Mac? Uh, if we're doing one more, let's talk about the Wonder Women article. Okay. Um, essentially, it's a, it's a movie that's coming out, and it's talking about the role of – essentially, they were talking about the fact that when people are asked about superheroes – in almost no cases do they bring up even the most famous one, which is Wonder Woman. And so this movie is coming out to 
essentially show the uh, show the female heroes and show their show their influence instead. So, yeah, why Wonder Woman is the most famous? I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. Hmm. So I would say Wonder Woman is the most famous. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, over Superman. Who popped in your head? No, we're talking about superheroine, female. Super, okay, of the women. Okay, yes, right. Absolutely. Okay, the specifically, famous, okay. the most famous female superhero. Right. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, yeah, she's got to yeah, be. Just, and you're not a geek like um, some of us here, so you know, the the rest of us could think of others, but more than likely, the, you know, most people like you. Wonder Woman's really the only one they know. Ryan's not a geek. Uh, I may not be no, a not comic, comic geek. Book. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. I could say I could say Power Girl, but my eyes instinctively drift thirty degrees downward when I when I think. <laughs> of her, so. Well, the only other one I can think of is, of course, Supergirl. You know, I, you know, and Batgirl. Uh, Batgirl, yeah. Um, yeah. Catwoman. Black Canary. Black Canary. Black Canary. Black Canary. I thought that she said with DC. But you know, like. Um, the Avengers movie, which I put a link in here, um, just opened up worldwide, and it's breaking records. So the you know importance, of the power of superheroes right now. But um, one thing I've been disappointed in is they seem to be underplaying the whole role of the Black Widow in it. Right. I mean, see, for the movie, she's the only female hero on the team, but they're not doing much to promote her. And it's like actually, I, I'm disappointed very much because they don't seem to think that um, it's marketable, but it hasn't been. And, yeah, um, there really aren't any really great women superheroes. I mean, you always want them, and they're always there. You know, and again, in the comic book stuff, they're always, you know, impossibly breasted. And, you know, and there's some really great characters out there, but very few that have their own titles um, that aren't just kind of Wonder Woman lame. I mean, you know, I'm all for, you know, kick-ass girls and stuff. And Wonder Woman has been cool at times, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's... She's no Batman. She's no Spider-Man. You know what I'm saying? Like it just—it doesn't have the same strength yeah. that I, I yeah. really can't. And, and at the same time, I'm with you. I can't come up with you say name the you know the best female superhero. I'm gonna have to go with Wonder Woman because I don't I don't know who else I would pick. Mm-mm. There were lots of great characters on the X-Men that I really liked, but um, you know, just nobody with their own book. Nobody who could really do it. They've just never been well written enough. Well, X-Men's interesting because they have a few, but even for the movie, for the main character, they can, they kind of combined two superheroes, didn't they? Or they just crossed the storyline with another superhero. I'm not sure who you're referring to. Uh, Jubilee and... Oh, yeah, you, yeah, they mixed, they, they, they took Rogue and reverted her to the, the Jubilee, formerly Shadowcat role. There's, there's been a few right. people that, a few characters that done that role. Rogue had it but for a short Rogue. time, she did, but yeah. Yeah, yeah really? I mean, she, yeah, when she first joined the X-Men, she was kind of uh, took it under Wolverine's tutelage just for a short time. So there you go, Jubilee. Uh, how Not about in Storm? The Storm. In the original, yeah. Rogue was really badass yeah, and was from the evil team. And they yeah, and her Rogue, when she came over, she was also insecure about being evil, and Wolverine sort of helped her out. I, I see what you guys are saying. Yeah. All right. There, well, was, a, there was a little bit of it. Could they? Not, not, well, if she was as strong a character... Oh, I'm sorry. If she was as strong a character as some of the others, would you have been able to do that? Would you, if 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 everybody knew her, would you have been able to cross her story the way that, the way that they did? I don't think so. No, like you couldn't no, have you done couldn't that have. with you couldn't have messed with Wolverine's story, right? And gotten away. No. With. Yeah. Well, the other thing I think that's interesting here is that uh, there, there has been a lot of great things done with Wolf, uh, with uh, Wolverine with uh, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Uh, it's just, it seems to have gotten under everyone's radar. Uh, Gail Simone, who is one of my favorite comics writers of all time, uh, did a wonderful run on Wonder Woman. Uh, but it, it, for some reason, it, it, there's just something out there that it, it's almost like they talk about uh, some things that are just because they always will be. Uh, the the Today Show will will always be the number one morning show uh, for that uh, for that uh, time slot, and it seems like Wonder Woman is always going to be this uh, Rodney Dangerfield of of comic book titles, even though she's a tremendous character, and uh, writers like Gail have done wonderful things with her. Uh, you guys mentioned Power Girl a little while before early, and and Power Girl obviously is is known for being a cheesecake kind of uh, uh, character, and uh, and it is kind of given second run status uh, for that. 
but take a look at uh, not too long ago, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor did a 12-issue Power Girl series uh, that, that of course, had, had the requisite cheesecake, but also wrote Power Girl as this very, very uh, modeled, intricate, three-dimensional character that you really got to like at the end of the series. Uh, and, and, and it was impossible to follow that. Uh, uh, somebody else took it over on the 13th issue. And, and I don't know that it's been heard of since. Uh, but there are some great things happening with females in comics. It's just that uh, sometimes I wonder where uh, those readers are supporting that kind of work because uh, it always seems to go under the radar. The, the general problem from what I understand, and this actually comes from my action figure collecting, is the companies are marketing towards boys, and they don't believe that there is a market for girl toys, or in this case, girl superheroes. And that's mm-hmm. why in the figure line, the gr- female action figures are really next to impossible to find quite often because they're underproduced. And yet there is a huge demand for them at the same time. So it's actually a mistake for the company to be thinking this because it's actually not as true. You know, little boys aren't as interested, but that that's not the big market. There are a lot of adults, especially nowadays, more and more. It's it's not something that you shy away from. You know, right here, you know, we're adults admitting we're into comic books, we're into action figures, we're into all this stuff. But they still market it towards the kids, the young boys, right. and so that leaves out a big part of the market. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Okay. You know, this, and it's interesting because the Japanese don't feel quite the same way. When you start to look at anime, and I know that these aren't exactly equivalent to superheroes, um, but there is much more, a lot more strong, a lot more strong, um, female characters in anime. Um, I, you know, if you look at Bubblegum Crisis, um, those were all strong female characters. Um, Armitage, um, there was a strong female character, uh, from Ghost in the Shell, a strong female character, um, uh, Dominion Tank Police, strong female characters there. A lot of strong female characters in anime mm-hmm. that that we don't get in American comics. Well, and I, and I think Sailor that's Moon why you see I, a lot of... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you said Sailor Moon, I'd have to dispute that because she spends most of her time <laughs> mooning of her tuxedo rose. <laughs> but I, and I think that's mask. one of the reasons you see uh, young girls gravitating so strongly towards anime is because they they do have characters there that that they can kind of uh, jump onto. Whereas, like the previous speaker uh, said, that ex- explains exactly why you don't see a lot of Black Widow uh, being promoted in the Avengers movie. Uh, take a look at the last two. Uh, Marvel movies that did so well at the box office, Thor and Captain America. You cannot find two movies more better suited to a teen, uh, to a 10 year old boy than those two movies. There was, I, I, and I know this because I, I've got a 10 year old, a nine year old son. He'll be 10 in June and, and all of his friends. And I can tell you there is exactly one kissing scene in each of those movies. And it comes way at the end after all the good stuff. And I know where it comes because I can be anywhere in the house if that movie's on and they're watching the movie <laughs> and I can hear, ah! They, 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 they recoil like, like, like they've been touched with a taser. Uh, but, but those movies are action, action, action and, and, you know, swinging from the rooftops and adventure and goal, goal, goal. I, I, you know, seeking goal, seeking goal, achieving goal. Uh, and then at the very end, Thor, you know, uh, lays the lip lock on uh, on young. Uh, oh, I'm blanking out on her name. Jane Foster. Uh, Jane. It, Jane yeah, Foster. It, but which which, by the way, you know, is going to be the touchstone it girl for uh, uh, boys of that generation between Star Wars and uh, and and Thor. Uh, but but yeah, it, it's it's those movies done did so well, and they marketed it right to that preteen boy demographic. Uh, I can't see Avengers doing anything differently. Yeah, I. My my girls do is, like those. It movies. is Joss Whedon writing and directing, and he is known for really strong female characters like Buffy. Oh yes, so that's there, a there brilliant hope. Uh, there, that's a brilliant uh, point. And if there's anyone that can do it, it's him. Yeah, I, yeah. He was originally he was at one point attached to Wonder Woman, and it sounds yes, like, what? although he doesn't talk about it much, that he couldn't get the studios to sign on with his vision of what vision, Wonder Woman could be. And if that vision involves Charisma Carpenter in any way, shape, or form, then it is an absolute nightmare of a shame. Now, see, I was hoping for the woman who played Inara to play Wonder Woman. Now, that would have been good. 
Yeah. I'm very I'm very hopeful for the the Avengers movie. Not one of my favorite comics from way back, but um, just having Joss Whedon attached to it. And everything I've read yeah. has said it's going to be really good. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Hey, I wanted to ask, as I know we're going to be wrapping up here really yeah, uh, soon. In the very beginning, you started out saying how much you like the villains. So from mainstream com- stream comics, and I realize you it sounds like you're into all sorts of alternative ones we may never have heard of. But of the mainstream ones that most people probably know, who's your favorite? Favorite villain of all time, I, I, I've got to say for me. Ah, uh, it, 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 it's like naming, you know, naming your favorite child, but I've got to <laughs> say for me, it's, it's got to be the Joker. And that's because it, it, the Joker is, has almost godlike powers for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And he does, and he uses them at, at such a, a, a bizarre whim that he's, the most fun to write he's the most fun to see you know step into the panel if you've got a comic in your hands you know that it's going to be you know just blow the doors off fun i've got to say it's the joker wow does anybody else have anybody else got a favorite i've always liked thanos of titan um he's marvel character um his main thing his main reason for being a villain is he worships death. And in Marvel, death is an actual entity that Thanos has had contact with. And I just, especially um, his development when they, um, after his death, because he died, death brought him back with the mission to destroy half the life in the universe. And in order to do that, he create, he basically collected these gems and created the infinity gauntlet that gave him complete rule over the universe. Well, the problem that came from that is he was now more powerful than death. And so originally he was trying to win her affections and she wouldn't talk to him because he was so much lower than her. At this point, she now wouldn't talk to him because he was so much higher than her. And they just made him, especially during the Infinity Gauntlet stuff and afterwards, they made him into such an intriguing character because you don't know where he stands now. He's not, not, is he a villain? Is he a hero? What is he? And every time I've seen him since then, he's just been a very dramatic character that it, it ha- to me, is you know one of the most interesting characters I've seen in comic books. Hmm. All right, I Mac. Heard of that one. Mac. Uh, that's a really, really hard one to pick. Um, you have to. I, you know, I, 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 you know, I. There's so many good ones, and you've mentioned two of the two of the best. We talked about Lex Luthor earlier, and actually, you know what? I think I'm going to go with the Red Skull. <laughs> that's a good one too. Hmm. And and why are you going to go with the Red Skull? The Red Skull is, he's another one of those that depending upon your viewpoint, you could see him as, you could see him as possibly, um, possibly a villain or you could see him as possibly a hero. His, mm-hmm. his goal is essentially to, you know, he's essentially got the master race idea, but his goal is to, and his fascination with Captain America is because they're essentially the same origin and, he believes that he's transcended humanity, and he feels he can do anything he wants with them at that point. Hmm. Sorry, talk about the movie skull then. Same yeah. origin. Uh, I'm talking about the movie skull, but the, the the comic book skull was not too not too dissimilar. I actually think the movie skull was pretty well pretty well sourced in the comics. Eric, what about My you? Personal I don't know. Mm, I do a lot of favorites in most things, um, so I'm not coming up with one very well. That's okay. I, I like Doctor Evil. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the the you know he, he had every of the villains tropes. Oh, I, you know the absurdity. I thought it was great. I know. Okay. The monarch. And why the monarch? <laughs> the monarch. Yes. <laughs> A butterfly themed supervillain. <laughs> All right. I first got into uh comics back when I was when I was in high school. Um I caught the very tail end of the Dark Phoenix saga and went back and and read all of those and for me that was the the ultimate supervillain because it was the good guy who got corrupted and um I just thought that whole story arc was awesome. And I'll tell you and I got out of comics when they brought her back. When they when they resurrected Jean Grey, I was done. And I I've, I've never gone back. It broke my heart. <laughs> wow. 
All right. Well, uh, we really got to wrap it up. Brad, tell us where we can find you and uh, whatever else. Plug what you need to. Oh, absolutely. You can see my daily comic strip at evil-comic.com. And it runs Monday through Saturday. Uh, Give it a check out. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thank you. All right. Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight. Goodnight. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, no derivatives, 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 